Rocky said. And also there's a response from Cardinal McElroy as well. Uh, this is very. This is a very important topic. This isn't mere church politics. This has to do with the heart of the church's teaching. So that's coming up. Also, we pick up on uh, <clears throat> the Nigerian presidential election now that we've got a winner proclaimed, and we'll also see what we can do to be brought up to speed on the earthquake relief going on in Turkey and Syria. Ed Clancy, Director of Outreach for Aid to the Church in Need, will be with me. Peggy Stanton joined us as we look at this Sunday's Gospel reading on the Transfiguration. Uh, we'll see what the Catechism has to say about the Transfiguration. And we'll take some time to you know, dive into this. What is a monumental event in history? It's not just a religious event. Sometimes people get the impression that these events talked about in Scripture are somehow not really historical. No. Transfiguration happened in space and in time. It was visible to Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John. So we're going to talk about this event. Also, Haiti 180. Uh, Haiti has been listed frequently as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, among the poorest in the world. Sean Forrest, uh, who was with me on the uh, Good News Cruise, went there more than 20 years ago and was heartbroken by how many children lacked basic medical care or even attention. And since then, he started Haiti 180 to form leaders who will ensure every child in Haiti has a life of love and joy. Sean's going to join us. And then I'll have some comments on the 100th anniversary tomorrow of Time magazine. But first, let's get today's headlines. Thanks, Alan. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Omni Maria Radio News. For Thursday, March 2nd, it's the Feast of St. Chad of Mercia. Today's news brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. Nigeria's Electoral Commission has declared Bola Tinubu of the incumbent ACP party the winner of the presidential election. However, the country's Catholic bishops and other groups have sharply criticized the vote-counting process and are calling on the government to address complaints raised by voters and other political parties. Tinubu ran on an all-Muslim ticket, a departure from the usual practice of having a Christian and a Muslim run together. Ed Clancy has more in the second hour of today's program. The U.S. Secretary of State is reiterating the country's support for Ukraine to his Russian counterpart. President Zelensky has put forward a ten-point plan for a just and durable peace. The United States stand ready to support Ukraine through diplomacy to end the war on this basis. A State Department official said Antony Blinken spoke with Sergei Lavrov for about ten minutes at the meeting of the G24 ministers in New Delhi. It marked the first time Blinken has met with Russia's foreign minister since the invasion of Ukraine began more than a year ago. Blinken telling Lavrov that the U.S. will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Blinken also advocating for the release of former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, who was imprisoned in Russia since 2018. The bishops of Mexico are discussing how to respond to a sharp decline in the country's Catholic population. In 1950, more than 98 percent of the country identified as Catholic. By 2010, it was just over 82 percent and now hovers just under 78 percent. And scientists say they found a previously undiscovered Moai statue on Easter Island. The giant stone-headed statue was found in a dry lake bed on the remote Pacific Island. The island is home to hundreds of famous statues built by the original inhabitants between 400 and 700 years ago. From your AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark.
Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Well, 100 years ago tomorrow, Time Magazine began changing the news game in America. Richard Osling uh, <clears throat> was a journalist there, field correspondent and religion writer from 1969 until 1998. He's now 83 years old, and he's just paid tribute to Time with a short piece at Get Religion, a website that we often recommend to follow up on how the media is following religion stories. Richard pointed out that in 2018, when Time and its related properties went up for sale, New York Times, in fact, called it the preeminent media organization of the 20th century. That's Time magazine. New York Times calling its competitor the preeminent media organization of the 20th century. When Time celebrated that 75th birthday, it converted Radio City Music Hall into a big banquet. It invited every living person who'd ever appeared on its cover to show up. So you had Billy Graham saying hi to Joe DiMaggio. You had Lauren Bacall there, Bill Clinton. That was his 75th anniversary. Unfortunately, Time's current ownership isn't making a big deal about the 100th anniversary. And sadly, this means that a coming generation may never learn how Time Magazine redefined news and how it presented news, beginning back in 1923. Uh, you know, as you know, the news business right now, and it is a business, faces all kinds of problems since the rise of the Internet. They've got reduced circulation, reduced budgets, reduced staffing, reduced frequency of publication, and a continuing skepticism and suspicion about how news stories are selected and edited. But on this Get Religion page, Richard Osling is, really offers a lot of, a lot of thoughtful uh, uh, comments about time. Time started breaking down the wall between news columns and the editorial page back in 1923. It began blending in opinion. It was based on well-reported fact, but still opinion. Today, of course, they look conservative compared to our era of cable news and internet clickbait, where opinion dominates analysis, and people strive to outdo one another as they try to arrest our attention. And this has created distrust uh, of mainstream journalism. I mean, right now, this defamation lawsuit, uh, that def uh, Dominion voting system has brought against Fox News, demonstrates how even in conservative media, you see their big names afraid of losing audience. They believe... A lot of these voting voting fraud stories were phony, and yet they're telling their audience a very different story because they don't want to alienate their pro-Trump audience. It's disgraceful. And it was reported by former CBS newsman and former Fox contributor Bernie Goldberg. We'll have the piece available in the Crested Guest Archives. One thing about Time magazine, which is important to me, I, I think for you too, is that from its inception... It took religion seriously as a matter of public influence and public interest. The co-founder of Time magazine, Henry Luce, legendary Henry Luce, was, was a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries in China, Presbyterian missionaries to be exact. And Luce made sure that Time carried a religion news section each week. Now, when I say a religion news section, I don't mean Christian necessarily. I don't mean that, I don't even know what Luce's faith end, ended up being. But he thought religion was important. 
as late as June of 2005, in fact, the Henry R. Luce Foundation launched a project called Initiative on Religion and International Affairs. And it was still trying to provide intellectual leadership. It was hoping to enhance public understanding of the role that religion plays in international diplomacy. And there have been high-level U.S. officials like former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, former National Security Advisor Zbigniew Brzezinski, who understood the important role of religion in conducting foreign policy. Albright wrote an entire book on it. In fact, I think it's fair to say that failure to understand the depth of Muslim sentiment is what undermined the U.S. efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Think about it. Some of the most significant stories of the last generation have been religion stories. The reappearance of Islamic Jihad, global movement, the rise of a Hindu political party in India that is dominant and now determined to make India formally a Hindu nation uh, at the expense of Christian and Muslim citizens. You have the role of the various Christian churches in the collapse of Soviet communism, especially the Polish trade union solidarity. You have the influence of John Paul II in the collapse of the uh, <clears throat> Iron Curtain. And in America, since the late 1970s, we've seen the political influence of theologically conservative Catholics and presidents changing the shape of American politics. I mean, evangelical Protestants voted about 80% for Donald Trump, and that had much to do with his electoral victory back in 2016. And those are just a few big stories, dominant stories, that have religion as a subject. And yet, mainstream press, for the most part, still gives religion short shrift. I mean, even now we're watching China suppress Christianity and declaring genocide against Uyghurs. So, so to its credit, Time magazine didn't shy away from religion stories. In fact, it placed religious thinkers like C.S. Lewis or denominational leaders like Eugene Carson Blake of the National Council of Churches or ministers of mercy like Mother Teresa, evangelists Billy Graham or other leaders like John Paul II, Pope John the Twenty Third, uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the Ayatollah Khomeini, Gandhi—they all had cover stories uh, on Time Magazine, and it was also Time Magazine that printed that notorious "Is God Dead?" Uh, cover during Holy Week of 1966. I saw it as a 15-year-old ignoramus, and without bothering to read the actual story, assumed that the adults in my world were atheists. The story was written without a byline, but we know the writer. It was John Elson, a mass-attending Catholic, who was not at all interested in undermining the Christian faith. He was asking an important question. Were there any limits to liberal Protestantism's continual shrinking of its doctrine, all down to the point where even God was dead? And at that time, there was, in theological circles, a movement called the Death of God Movement. Radical, radical Protestant theologians like Thomas Altizer, Paul Van Buren, William Hamilton, all making claims that with the Incarnation, we no longer could speak of God in any transcendent language. In, in a sense, God as a transcendent being was dead. And then when Martin Scorsese's controversial film, The Last Temptation of Christ, appeared, time went to Richard Osling. Richard, by the way, was an evangelical Protestant, a uh, wonderful writer. He's been on this program a few times over the years. He wrote a cover story 
when Last Temptation of Christ came out, it was August of 1988, and asked the question, who was Jesus? And in this piece, I looked at it today, it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a marvelous piece of good religious journalism. He looks at the different claims that were being made about Jesus. Jesus as itinerant sage. Jesus as inspired rabbi. Jesus as apocalyptic prophet. And closing with, you might say, the classic Jesus, which concludes by quoting a, a famed New Testament scholar that, quote, the biblical texts as they stand are the best hypothesis we have until now to explain what really happened. The historian has to take that into account. Opponents conceded that Jesus did perform miracles, and if Jesus was God, uh, as he claimed to be, then miracles are what one would expect. Osling even quotes Joseph Ratzinger as a person who positively believed that the critics of the Gospels could be bested using their own scholarly tools. And the piece concludes that, quote, well, not quite a quote, but a paraphrase, that faith depends on a robust Jesus, tangible, real, vital, and a robust view that Jesus is available to us in the Gospels and was, in fact, the Jesus of history. Yeah, from Time Magazine. That's how the piece concluded. In its earliest days, time began as a brisk rewrite of other people's work. Eventually, it started offering original reporting, ended up with 100 correspondents in the Time Life News Service. The Rome Bureau scored scoops on the exact language and the much-anticipated birth control encyclical from Pope Paul VI and then... They had the story on the Polish cardinal who would become John Paul II as a dark horse papal candidate. Uh, there was Jerry Schechter, who's now passed on, who obtained and smuggled Nikita Khrushchev's memoirs out of Moscow, and David Beckwith, who established that the Supreme Court would be legalizing abortion back in 1973. His reporting is largely forgotten because his story appeared the very day that the Supreme Court issued Roe v. Wade. So he's kind of lost to the archive annals of uh, journalistic history, even though he had the story before it happened. Journalism's not going away. We will always want people who are better uh, communicators than we are, who are positioned to gather facts that we can't gather who have had enough experience to know when stories smell bad and you ought to treat them at a distance. Time Magazine played a major role in American news coverage, as New York Times called it, the preeminent media organization of the 20th century. Henry Luce was a strong supporter of Chiang Kai-shek, in China. Chiang Kai-shek lost, of course, to Mao Zedong, and Mao Zedong brought communism uh, to China. But Chiang Kai-shek showed up at least 20 times in Time magazine. There's no doubt that Henry Luce used it, uh, used Time magazine to promote the politics and the worldview that he thought was true. I don't think that's bad, 
I think it's bad that he wasn't more explicit about it. You can't pose as neutral if, in fact, you're trying to smuggle in your opinions uh, onto the pages of the magazine. So I'm, I'm one of those people who think that there's no such thing as neutral reporting. Everybody has presuppositions, prejudices, values. They can be fair in the reporting, but we ought to know where somebody's coming from. So, Henry Luce, incredible achievement with Time Magazine. You just should have been more upfront about your presuppositions and prejudices because people found them out anyways. Stocks and bonds are losing and interest rates are on the rise. Protect your savings with a fixed guaranteed rate of 5% with a multi-year guaranteed annuity from an A-rated insurance company. Regular savings as well as retirement funds are eligible for this special rate of 5%. For more info, contact Reno Frazita at 586-262-6400. That's 586-262-6400. Current rate subject to change and penalty for early withdrawal. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. It's not easy to listen to criticism. Sometimes people see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And I'm not talking about pointing out the obvious to someone, but truth that will only help improve their lives. Criticism based on hearsay is not helpful, it's gossip. In Proverbs we learn that uninformed criticism will usually wind up embarrassing the critic when the truth is revealed. In Proverbs it also reads that if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Criticism based on scripture can be helpful, loving, and based on truth. Correction is to be gentle. It comes from love, not from hate. In Galatians it reads, The Spirit wants to produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If criticism cannot be expressed in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit, it's better left unsaid. This has been a Christ Center Communication Message. I'm Vanessa Dunhagarmo, a communications evangelist. Food for the Journey, Sister Ann Shield. You know, we would avoid a lot of difficult arguments just spouting off at the mouth, as we sometimes say. Just ask the Lord, give me the words to say. Maybe I'm rightfully angry, but if I just shout and yell and scream, what good is that going to be? Brothers and sisters, God can give us much more control over our anger, over our fear, over our language. And so whenever you're in a tight spot, just stop for a moment and say, Lord, what would you have me do here? God is good. I don't mean he's going to say words that will come down from heaven. But if you pause just for a moment, you'll get hold of yourself and you may well get a thought that you didn't have before. And sometimes it's just quiet, but it's enough to bring down the steam. And then you think what is really right to say here. You might be justifiably angry 
How do we respect the other person while we're correcting them? Please, brothers and sisters, let us open our hearts to God in those moments. Sister Ann Shields gives you food for the journey, weekday mornings at 645 and again at 1130 on 990 Ave Maria Radio. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. You know, on this year's Good News Cruise, uh, and let me, again, ask you to follow up, find out what's going on for 2024 at goodnewscruise.com. On on this uh, trip this year, uh, I sat down with Sean Forrest, founder and president of Haiti 180, he also aired a documentary uh, on the cruise, which I was really moved by. Uh, Sean began ministry as a full-time youth minister in Connecticut back in 2000 when he founded Moving with the Spirit, Inc. It was a not-for-profit organization dedicated to boldly proclaiming God's eternal truth and love. And since then, he's had an opportunity to speak to hundreds of thousands of teens and adults across the country and internationally. Uh, you can learn more of his work. We'll have it linked at our site, of course, but you can visit Haiti180.com and SeanForrest.com. Sean, good to talk with you again. Oh, how are you, buddy? I'm all right. I'm doing fine. And uh, I've been wanting to talk to you since we were since the cruise, but time goes by so fast. I didn't realize how much time had passed. But um, oh, it does. Tell tell me tell me what your first of all tell me how Haiti 180 was born. I. I, you know, I'm a, I'm somebody who converted from agnosticism through Buddhism to Catholicism, and I was reading the scriptures, and God is pretty clear about helping the poor. Yep, it's it's in there, and there's no way around it. So I was like, all right, well, which poor? And I went to my pastor and said, I really feel like God's calling me to help the poor. And he said, Well, I'm leaving for Haiti in two weeks. Do you want to go? I said, Yeah, I'm in. So I went. <laughs> And, you know, one of those God incidences, mm-hmm. and I went on this amazing, uh, incredible mission trip, and I uh, I went to an orphanage, and there were 300 kids there, and they didn't have enough caretakers to hold them, and they were kind of just lifeless. Mm-hmm. And I went to play guitar for them, and they, you know, they'd never been held and loved on, and because wow. uh, there weren't enough caretakers. Yeah. So they were ju- they looked at me like with what I call dead eyes. Yeah. It's just they're yeah. there, but there's no life. And then uh, a little boy walked up and came across the floor. There's imagine 300 kids are all just kind of staring at the walls. And, this kid, and I went to pick him up, and the director said, don't pick him up. He's covered with scabies. And he turned him around, and he had these wounds on his back from, from uh, sores of laying on the cement. Mm. And he said, if you pick him up, you'll get scabies. You're going to get sick. A lot of them have illnesses. And I was like, oh, and I, I, I pat him on the head like a good little boy. And then I, and then I walked away. And by the time I got to the third step... God just convicted my heart and said, so I'll die on a cross for you and wear your filth and sin, but you won't pick me up and wear my, my, my the, the dirt of my the, this little boy here in front oh. of you and the disease. Like, Matthew you know, 25, yeah. Right? Um, 
And it was like God was saying, do you really want to be a missionary? Because if you do, it's not glamorous. It's yeah. hard work. It's heartbreaking. So I knelt down and picked the, the boy up. And when I did that, I started goofing around with him, and he started laughing, and all the kids just came to life and ran at me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> wow. So I told God, if you'll let me, I will build an orphanage um, that will be like a home, and we'll raise future leaders of faith for your kingdom. And he let me. And then I said, well, we want to worship you. Help me build a beautiful chapel. And he said, do it. So we did. Then a school. We have 400 kids in our school, uh, 20 elderly in our nursing home. And our clinic cares for about 2,000 people on the mountains. And we feed about 1,000 people every day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's all because of God. I'm a musician. You met me. I'm yeah, right. right. I, I, I saw you for a while playing your guitar there. Yeah. <laughs> so tr- truly, God just wanted something done. And um, the only thing I did right was say yes. So Yeah. It's, it's been it's been an adventure. How how does that how often do you get down there? So I usually go every other month and then spend a month in the summer because I have to go there, be with the team, bring missionaries over, counsel the team. Then I have to come back here to fundraise and tell people the story and let them know, hey, I want you to see what your donations are going to. Yeah. I want you to see that your hard earned money is really. Like, you just bought a bag of rice for somebody who hasn't eaten for two days, and now they're good for a week. Right. I I want people to see that. I want the transparency because, you know, people work hard, and Americans are generous, and and I just keep trying to build that relationship so one day they might be able to come over and see these people face-to-face with me. Yeah, yeah. So are you able to – do you have enough workers to do the work you want down there? Yes, we have 100 Haitian employees, um, from caretakers to cooks to teachers to nurses to doctors, um, you know, our drivers who wow. pick us up from the airport. It's uh, it's really amazing, and they're an, they're an incredible team. The hardest working people I've ever seen in my yeah. life. Yeah. Do so, they, are they Haitians? Down. Are they Haitians themselves? Yes, they are Haitians. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever, whenever Haiti comes up, and, I, and I've learned this, Years ago, uh, a Baptist sociologist and evangelist who I talked to, uh, Tony Campolo, had a ministry in Haiti. So going back to the late 1970s, uh, he told me that uh, Haiti was the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. And I've heard this said over and over and over again. And I think a lot of people want to know why, why... don't we seem to be able to make any uh, social, political progress there? Um, because Haiti is still the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, I know, you know, their history was tough. They were slaves. Yeah. And, you know, they were the first slave colony to free themselves with their machetes. Yep. And they beat the French. But then the French were upset that they beat them out, set up a road, uh, set up a, a blockade, so they couldn't export and they couldn't get anything. They couldn't import anything, so they told them to pay a war debt equivalent to about a billion dollars. Mm. So they spent the next hundred and thirty years paying that off by deforesting their whole country. Wow, um, that was the only way they could do it. So when you deforest, you know, there's consequences. The rain came, right. took the soil away. The soil went down, killed the coral. So you killed any chance to plant, any chance to grow, you know, uh, the vine food, and the, there's no fishing. 
Um, so basically, while they were paying, trying to pay that off, they missed the Industrial Revolution and were set back about 150 years from the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and that being said, then trying trying to get through that in the modern world in elections and when when you don't have electricity and you can't get the information of other people, it's really hard to have honest, fair elections right. and really get who the people want. So factions were created there, and gangs build up with power, and then then it gets to a political level where I go, I don't know. Yeah, I just know there's a little place on a mountain. God's called me to <laughs> work there. Well, yeah, and try to create future saints. Yeah, you know, by, by the grace of God. Yeah, there's there's some problems that we can't solve, but we can do something in the face of those problems. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with your fantastic oh. organization there. Oh yeah, exactly what you're saying. The, the, I just want to throw this out because sometimes people go, well, then, you know, it's not worth helping. And I'm especially worth helping because 99% of the people just want to go to mass. Right. And they want to eat and they just want to love each other. Um, so uh, this is a people where, uh, you know, when the big earthquake happened, almost 300,000 people were killed in about a minute. A couple of weeks later, 100,000 Haitians went to the Capitol with their drums and worshiped God. And the reporter had one of the Haitians say, we wanted to show the devil we can shake the ground with our faith. <laughs> this, this, is the, this is the people we're talking about of Haiti. They're, they're, the more you hit them, the more things happen, the harder they pray. Wow. I think they frustrate the devil. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so how... Did, how do you do you cooperate with do you have linkage with other uh, similar ministries down there no it's kind of weird everybody just seems to be their own automaton like just little thing and everybody's just trying to find enough donors themselves yeah so there yeah. might there might be like hey you guys have an x-ray machine like we have an x-ray yeah can we send somebody absolutely things like that That that's kind of how we connect our hey where did you find food uh where'd you find gas so for a while gas was 40 dollars a gallon and it just uh there was no food anywhere it was brutal so you would try to say hey you know i can give you a couple sacks of rice here but uh, I can't give too much because, you know, I, these people are counting on me over here. It, it, it gets it gets scary. You're just really relying on Christ to show up. Yeah. And yeah. he does. He's up every time out, every time he's rescued us, when it seems, and it's kind of interesting. It's like, well, it's beyond our power now. We can only pray. And son of a gun. You know, God's pretty faithful, and he shows up, and he says, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Let's go over, uh, in particular, each of the, you've got the K. Mari Children's Home. Yeah, so I'd like, I'd like you to just Mary's describe home. each of these um, institutions that you've got there. Tell so me about Kymerine, the children's home. Kymerine means the house of Mary. We figured, what's the most beautiful house that yeah. you could have lived in? And we call it a, a house, a home for former orphans, because you wouldn't think it's an orphanage, because they really become brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we, do, we can do so much, gra you know, ministry with them, catechesis. I've, I've brought over groups to run uh, boys' retreats, women's retreats there for them. So it's really special. Um, and and then we have the elderly home, and what's great is the young kids would go over to the elderly home, and, and you know, the elderly would pick them up, read to them. So it's sort of like this grandparent program started. <laughs> so it's very symbiotic. Like, God's like, Sean, you ain't, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till you see the story I'm writing. So you've got um, so you've got have, the Kaimari home, the House of Mary home for children, yep. and then you've got the Kai Martina home for the elderly. Yeah, and, and there's a symbiotic relationship between the two. In, in Haiti, the elderly 
Um, unfortunately, in some of the villages, there's not enough food for the whole family. So the, the, the grandma will go off to die somewhere, and her grave will be dug already before she's dead in front of oh. the little shack that she's in. So we went in to do rescues while they were dying, and we were going we to build – it was supposed to be a hospice care to let them die. So we brought them to our Kaimari nursing homes – I mean, uh, hospice care. But when the kids came over, it sparked them. Because the kids would sing, and they're like, hey, I don't want to die. So it had to become a nursing home. <laughs> it's, so, it's so fun. That is great. And, then, um, and, uh, and our, our school is amazing. We're ranked the top two for our entire state because our, our director, Emmanuel Declan, over there has really put God first. Like, we want all our kids speaking three languages when they graduate and catechized to to really go out and, and be the hands and feet of Christ in this country. So Haiti's helping Haiti. So that's Immaculate Conception School. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And then our St. Mother Teresa and, Clinic. Yeah, the medical clinic. St. Mother Teresa Medical Clinic. Tell us a little bit about that. I'll tell you that that's such a miracle. I can't do anything medical. Okay, if you've got a cut and you want a band they don't ask me somehow I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> um so so <laughs> so you know, we were seeing people die of things like asthma attack or fever, mm-hmm. and we said, we've, we've got to do something. God, help us put up this clinic, and sure enough, now we have an x-ray machine, a dental lab, eye care. It's truly incredible. All right. I've got the music coming up under me, Sean. How can people stay in touch with what you're doing? If they go to Haiti 180, Haiti180.com, and they can become a Team 180 member and help us monthly, or just sign up to get our newsletter. Scroll to the bottom and see it. All right. Let's talk again soon, okay? God bless. Good to hear from you, buddy. Crested in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. In Morse code, the sequence SOS is a distress call when someone's in trouble. It's been said that SOS stands for Save Our Souls. Well, right now, the world is in deep trouble, and we're putting out an SOS call for help. Will you answer the call? St. Paul Evangelization has hundreds of teams of evangelists that go out and share the good news with souls that are in danger of being lost. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and find a team near you so you can answer that distress call. Welcome to Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you. Dr. Matthew and the team invite you to visit them at AdvancedDentistryCenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schumler, brother of Terry Schiavo. 
In 2005, my sister experienced a brain injury, leaving her unable to speak for herself and make her own decisions regarding medical care. Since she had not established a health care agent by creating a health care durable power of attorney, the courts decided to leave the medical decisions to Michael, Terry's husband. Because of this, Michael was able to remove Terry's food and water, dehydrating and starving her to death by court order. There are many reasons why someone may need a feeding tube, such as an illness or injury, that leaves a patient with difficulty swallowing. Usually, feeding tubes are short-term solutions until the patient can swallow on their own. St. Pope John Paul II clarified that food and water by tube is basic care owed to patients and not a medical act. We never know when you or a loved one may be faced with an injury. I urge you to have a conversation with your family and to identify a health care agent to make sure your life wishes are known and to take the step of finalizing a health care power of attorney. It could very well save your lives. This Medical Moments, brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. When the news is full of pain and need, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. We invite you to partner with Hope Clinic to care for the whole person with free food, medical, dental, and behavioral health care, all in Jesus' name. Last year, Hope Clinic was ranked the number one charity in Michigan by Charity Navigator, and we're the first free clinic in the United States to offer behavioral and mental health. Sign up to pray, pay, and stay as a volunteer at thehopeclinic.org. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, and joining me right now is Peggy Stanton. Peggy is the author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta, was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent, and hosts many programs for Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. And Peggy and I try to get together every week to focus in on the Sunday Gospel reading, and she also shares what she's learned from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And this week, uh, this Sunday, we've got the uh, Transfiguration from Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 9. And the Transfiguration, by the way, uh, New Testament scholars say it's really the climax or the culmination of his public life. You have the baptism at the beginning, you have the ascension at the end, and you've got the transfiguration of Christ uh, right there as kind of the peak of his public life. Peggy, good to have you here. Thank you, Al. It's good to be here. It's, it's a fascinating. I've always been fascinated by uh, the transfiggeration, yeah. and it, yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm always. <laughs> you can you can really kind of um, put yourself there on the top of the mountain, just just staring at <laughs> yeah. our Lord suddenly becoming glorious. It, it, what a moment that must have been. Hmm? Yeah, let me let me quickly read the text, and then we'll go yeah. right to the your uh, research here. Matthew chapter seventeen, verses one through nine. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them; his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. 
Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. End quote. It is a rich passage, and it's used in the Catechism huh, a few times. Oh, it is, yeah. I, I You know, I, this is kind of a strange, maybe, reflection on my part, but I've always wondered, how did they know, With and uh, did our Lord announce, this is Moses and this is right. Elijah? Right, yeah. <laughs> they it, didn't wear name tags. They did. <laughs> right. There had to be some uh, self something that was self-evident to them, but, but I don't know what it was. I, I'm always I'm always amazed that there's a conversation going on between yeah. Moses, Jesus, and Elijah, and you say to yourself, "What in the world were they talking about?" <laughs> well, then it, it indicates in uh, the research of what they and I hadn't until this research. I don't think I knew that they were discussing. Uh, the fact that he was, you know, going to going toward his, as they put it, exodus. Yes. Meaning yes. his passion. Um, but uh, paragraph four 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 in the uh, catechism says, kind of reiterates what you uh, read. The gospels report that at two solemn moments, the baptism and the transfiguration of Christ, the voice of the Father designates Jesus. His beloved Son. Mm. Jesus calls himself the only Son of God, and by this title affirms his eternal pre-existence. He asks for faith in the name of the only Son of God. And in the centurion's exclamation before the crucified Christ, truly this man was the Son of God, that Christian confession is already heard. Only in the Paschal Mystery can the believer give the title Son of God, though, its full meaning. Mm, okay. yeah. And paragraph 554 uh, talks about uh, the day Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Master began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter scorns this prediction, nor do the others understand it any better than he. It must have been extremely difficult to understand what he was talking about. Uh, uh, yes, I mean, he, in Matthew 16, we have the Jesus asking, who do men say that I am? Mm -hmm. Peter speaks, saying, you are the Son of God. Then Jesus, of course, confers the keys on Peter uh, and says he's the rock upon which the church will be built. And then the very next paragraph, uh, next chapter, you've got the transfiguration experience. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, in between, uh, Jesus has begun to tell them why he has to go up to Jerusalem 
uh, yeah. to die. And Peter says, no, you're not going to do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, yeah. this had to be, you can see, these they were confused. Absolutely. Yeah, I would have been totally confused. Yeah. Um, but in this context, the mysterious episode of Jesus' transfiguration takes place. Before the, and of course, he chooses these three witnesses. They make the point in the catechism. Peter, Jesus himself chooses Peter, James, and John to be with him. Uh, and then we talked about this when Moses and Elijah appear, and they speak of his departure, which yeah. he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Then the cloud covers him, and the voice from heaven says, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. In paragraph 555, for just a moment, Jesus discloses his divine glory, confirming Peter's confession. He also reveals again that he will have to go by way of the cross in Jerusalem in order to enter into this glory. Uh, Moses and Elijah had seen God's glory on the mountain of the law, and the prophets had announced the Messiah's sufferings. Um, Christ's passion is the will of the Father. The Son acts as God's servant. The cloud indicates the presence of the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity appeared, the Father in the voice, the Son in the man, the Spirit in the shining cloud. And that that um, reflection comes from St. Thomas Aquinas. Interesting, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I don't you have the whole trinity there—the Father, yeah, and the voice. Had you the thought of that? I, no, I I, in I fact, I hadn't. That's why it's kind of just caught my attention here. Uh, you have the yeah. Spirit in the shining cloud. I don't think I made that association. Um, mm-hmm. It is the Shekinah mm-hmm. glory, though, that rested over the tabernacle, mm-hmm. and uh, the word—the Hebrew word there—or excuse me, the the Greek word translating the Hebrew. Uh, in the mm-hmm. Septuagint, is the word overshadowed, which is the same word that's used in the Annunciation uh, narrative, that mm, that's the Spirit right. overshadowed yeah. Mary. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. was the Spirit, yeah, so that makes sense that this is the, the Shekinah glory cloud that was there at the tabernacle mm-hmm. and in some way overshadowed Mary as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and you, as it says, the... Um Trinity, uh, all the Trinity was there at the Transfiguration. Uh, this is a little sidebar, but it's interesting. Uh, you've been to Ave Maria, uh, the town. Oh, and, yeah. And yeah, many times. In the church, and you've uh, seen, I presume, that magnificent crucifix hanging. Mm, yes. Over the altar. Yes, yes. Have you ever noticed... Uh, the lighting has to be right, but on either side of Christ, there are two shadows. Uh, I do not yeah. recall that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I remember saying to Tom Monahan, I said, "That that is, was that planned?" And he said, "No." He said, <laughs> "When wow. that, he said when it was put up there, and the lights were turned on." There were the two shadows. And so, uh, you know, I looked up there. I've always felt awful Christ was up there by himself, but he wasn't. 
you know, the Father and the Holy Spirit were yeah. with him in some mystical way. Sure. And when you, so we have come to call this uh, the Trinitarian crucifix. Mm. Interesting. Because, yeah, it's fascinating to look at it. And the shadows are just, you know, obviously they're the shadows of, of Christ uh, that uh, from from the cross, but they're different. Each one is, they're not the same. And so, anyway, that yeah. it, it seems to us that it's kind of a, a mystical, um, sure. spiritual observation that we come up with. Yeah. Um, the the catechism also cites um, the this prayer that is said in the Byzantine liturgy on the Feast of the Transfiguration, and, and it's a prayer to our Lord: "You were transfigured on the mountain, and your disciples, as much as they were capable of it, beheld your glory, O Christ our God." so that when they should see you crucified, they would understand that your passion was voluntary and proclaim to the world that you truly are the splendor of the Father. And as I said, that comes from the Byzantine yeah. liturgy. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and the final paragraph, uh, two paragraphs, uh, you know, we, we speak of... Uh, our Lord alludes to John the Baptist, and he says, Elijah uh, has come. The fire of the Spirit dwells in John the Baptist and makes him the forerunner of the coming Lord. In John, the precursor, the Holy Spirit completes the work of making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Hmm. Uh, and John the Baptist, the Catechism says, is more than a prophet in him, the Holy Spirit concludes his speaking through the prophets. John completes the cycle of prophets begun by Elijah. He proclaims the imminence of the consolation of Israel. He is the voice of the consoler who is coming. As the spirit of truth will also do, John came to bear witness to the light. In John's sight, the Spirit thus brings to completion the careful search of the prophets and fulfills the longing of the angels. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and bear witness that this is the Son of God. Behold, John says, the Lamb of God. Mm. Wow. It is interesting that Elijah is the first major prophetic figure in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that John the Baptist kind of concludes that series of prophets. Mm -hmm. And he's, mm -hmm. he's called, uh, he's, there's a, there's a, John the Baptist is a type of Elijah for certain. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, they, where I just saw in some research that it was, rumored that uh, uh, Elijah would have to come yeah. uh, back. But was it a rumor? I thought it was actually said somewhere in Scripture, but maybe it was only something that was passed down through tradition. What do you think? Well, there, there are, the answer is uh, yes. Uh, but there's always the question of the degree to which the prophecy is perfectly literal or is it being spoken typologically? So, uh, 
if 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 John the Baptist was literally Elijah, then the reincarnationists uh, are right, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 um, but Elijah functions as a type uh, of mm-hmm. the prophet, and John the Baptist brings that prophetic ministry to its climax. So in a way, right. Elijah is at the beginning and he's at the end of the prophetic ministry. That's how I've understood it. And, uh, you know, you often hear that uh, Jews to this day have a place, a seat for Elijah. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hear the music. Yeah, music's coming up. Uh, Peggy, thank you. Great being with you. Thank and, you. Uh, I really do appreciate the, the work that you do uh, illuminating these uh, gospel readings for Sunday. Thanks. I learned myself. (laughs) I bet. Talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. 85% of kids raised in Catholic homes leave the church as adults. But similar research shows that there's hope. Help your kids cherish their Catholic faith in a new free webinar sponsored by Ave Maria Radio. Against the Odds, the Keys to Raising Faithful Catholic Kids. It's Wednesday, February 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, it's free at catholichom.com slash webinar. That's catholichom.com slash webinar. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noel will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. I'm angry, frustrated. Sound like you? Someone you know? Well, it could be any of us from time to time. But there's different types of anger. It's not so cut and dry. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Ray. One thing is for sure, you don't need to suffer with anger frustration. In my book, Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration, you'll learn whether your anger is a product of your nature or your nurture, and how to regulate those emotions and those thoughts. You can get Living Calm and all my other books at AveMariaRadio.net. We are the pro-life generation, passionate about building the culture of life in our health care and in our nation. But not all health care options are equally pro-life, and some provide morally objectionable procedures. CMF Curo is different. CMF Curo is a pro-life Catholic health care ministry, providing a pathway for its members to build the culture of life in their health care choices, not destroy it. Learn more about CMF Curo at MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Well, next hour, uh, we're going to take a look at, now the results are in from uh, the Nigerian presidential election. And as you know from our earlier conversation this week, this, is, this election is of great significance for Christians in Nigeria. We're going to be joined by Ed Clancy from Aid to the Church in Need, and then he'll also talk with us about the earthquake relief in Syria and Turkey. So that's one thing coming up. Also, Dr. Matthew Bunsen taking a look at some of the interesting give and take among American bishops regarding church teaching. I'm Al Cresta. Stay with me. <laughs> 